Hello, and welcome to the Flathead Beacon podcast. I'm Micah Drew, taking over for my colleague Andy Viano as host of this week's podcast because Andy will be a guest today to talk about his cover story, Roadmap to Reopening, about how schools in the Flathead Valley have remained open this school year, while nationwide the conversation about reopening schools is just getting started. Andy will take us through the decisions made in the last week to keep, or in one case remove, mask requirements in schools, talk about how school officials have navigated the pandemic to allow in-person learning to continue, and what makes the Flathead different than other parts of the country. Andy's story goes into a lot more than that, so please do yourself a favor and read it right now at flatheadbeacon.com or in the print edition on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana. After that conversation, stick around for a recap of the biggest news stories you may have missed in the last seven days, brought to you by the staff of the Flathead Beacon. But first, a reminder that this podcast is made possible in part by the members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms and do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some great perks too. All right, let's say hello to this week's guest. I'm joined today by my colleague, staff writer, and regular host of this podcast, Andy Viano. Andy, thanks for flipping the microphone around and joining me in the podcast studio today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for uh, filling that chair. So we're talking this week about our cover story that you reported on, The Roadmap to Reopening. It is a great read. It dives into how the administrators and staff were able to open up schools in the Flathead way back in September and have kept them open for the last six months. It's a really great piece, and you do a good job of unpacking this model that seems to be working really well to keep in-person learning an option here. But this story is a little bit unique, uh, especially because nationally, many places are just now getting to the conversation of how to open up schools safely. Can you take us back to the fall and the conversations that were happening in the flathead of how to do that six months before most people were? Of course. It was uh, in some ways very similar, I think, to the conversation that is occurring nationally. People were scared, I, I think, was probably the largest emotion that I got from people in, in working on school reopening back last summer. Because, uh, you know, at, at that point, we understood, I think, pretty well how dangerous the coronavirus was, how, how deadly it could be, and how dangerous it would be to put groups of people in tight, confined spaces. And, and that is exactly what a school is. And there's really no way around that. Um, but there was an insistence in this area that we figure out a way to do it. The, the spring was particularly unpleasant for teachers and for parents. Uh, and it had ripple effects then on the broader business community where employees had to stay home with their kids so businesses couldn't open. So there was this determination that we would get the doors open one way or another, and I think there was a great deal of skepticism back then that this would work publicly from teachers and parents who were concerned about the health risks, and a little bit publicly and even more privately, even from administrators who, who were sort of being put in this position where they felt like they had to try it, um, but didn't know how long it would last. So yeah, you talk about that skepticism. I mean, when, when schools closed in the spring, we had very few cases. And then you fast forward to September where we know more about how deadly the disease is. We have cases on the rise and nobody has ever tried to operate a full school system in a pandemic. Did, did the people you talked to, administrators and superintendents, expect this to be successful when they put forth the plan? Uh, maybe. I think they, I think they hoped that it would be successful. 
the the Kalispell school superintendent Micah Hill actually talked about uh, he had heard that there was a pool going around in the district with uh, certain people wagering on what day the the buildings would have to shut down. And when we saw that in some other places around the country, even saw that in some districts here in in Columbia Falls, there was a period where they had to close some schools down. It happened in Libby. Uh, it happened in Whitefish at uh, at one of the elementary schools. So uh, I don't think anybody expected to get through it cleanly. And certainly it, it didn't happen cleanly. There were cases, there were large quarantines in schools. There were parts of the school year that, that got really interrupted and affected and people got sick, as I think everybody knew would happen. But I, I, I do think they're, they're pleased and pretty proud now that, that there was minimal impact. And it's, it's impossible to measure this, really. But it's hard to say definitively that it was any more dangerous to be in schools than it was to just be in the community, because there was a lot of spread of COVID-19 in the community at that time, particularly in the fall. And there wasn't any more spread within school buildings. And when you think about what that environment is, that is, is pretty remarkable. There were obviously a lot of mitigation strategies put in place between trying to limit some of the contact between classes and limiting some of the sporting events and spectators and other issues that were that were brought forward just to mitigate this as best as possible when you're in these enclosed spaces. But it seems like it's worked pretty well. One of the reasons that this story is so relevant right now is because at least two school boards have had votes in recent weeks about getting rid of some of those mitigation strategies, specifically the masking requirement in schools. What can you tell us about the two different board meetings and how those kind of differed? Yeah, so the there was a board meeting in Big Fork uh, just what five days after Governor Gianforte announced or uh, did, in fact, repeal the mask mandate uh, statewide back on February 12th. And in Big Fork, uh, they commissioned a, a panel of 13 people they included the superintendent of the district, all three principals of the three schools in the school district, a number of teachers, community members, board members, and 12 of those 13 people convened the Monday before that meeting and made the, the unanimous, among those 12, recommendation that the board keep the mask mandate in place. Big Fork School Board then uh, rejected that advice, and they voted 4-3 to repeal the mask mandate. I think it was pretty surprising to a lot of people, including uh, Flathead County Public Health Officer Joe Russell, who had advocated for mask mandates to stay in place in schools and, and districts had actually all decided prior to this that they were going to keep those mandates in place, of course, unless the board overruled them. Um, so that happened in Big Fork. And I think spooked a lot of people in a lot of other districts in Northwest Montana to say, hey, wait, I thought we were keeping this thing in place, no questions asked. And all of a sudden, a lot of those fears that we talked about before that were, were common back in the summer popped back up. So then Kalispell had its own, and Kalispell Public Schools, the largest district in Northwest Montana, had its own vote a week after that. I know you were at that meeting. It was very, very long. <laughs> it took them more than four hours to, uh, to get from start to finish. Uh, it was extremely heated. Mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty evenly divided, at least in person. But in the end of the day, that board did side with the superintendent, with the, the public health officer, with the broader recommendation, and voted unanimously, 11 nothing to keep that mask mandate in place. So I think at least that 
in Kalispell and maybe in some other districts that were watching what was going to happen in Kalispell, that was a really encouraging sign and, and made at least people here in this town more comfortable that they were going to make it to the end of the school year. I know I was at that Kalispell Public Schools board meeting, and I know that you were watching it, and it seemed like a lot of the proponents for a mask requirement were from the educator side or the student side, and it seems like the Big Fork Advisory Committee was heavily all educators on that side. What kind of conversations have you had with educators and and their thoughts about having to go to work with this potential uh, repeal of a mask mandate in some areas? Yeah, I think they're they're terrified. I mean, I, th- I think that's a scary for for and not for all for for most. That's a scary prospect. You know, in, in even in Big Fork's case, they did surveys ahead of time to, to present that information on the board and an overwhelming majority of teachers in that district wanted the mask mandate to stay in place. And a, and a not insignificant percentage of those teachers said they'd be uncomfortable coming back to school if the mask mandate was repealed. And there are still ongoing conversations. You know, we're talking 13 days before they're going to open class without a mask requirement about how they're going to do that or even if they're going to be able to do that with, with staff available as some staff members there are either requesting accommodations to, to go remote or could potentially even go to the, the nuclear option and, and just say, that's it. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not teaching in this environment and, and whatever that means for my future is, is whatever that means. Thankfully, teachers in, in any other district, in at least the high school districts in the Flathead Valley, don't have to make that decision right now. But I think it'd be really hard. I think one of the things Micah Hill said at the Kalispell School Board meeting was that, that if the board did vote to repeal this, he didn't know how they were going to go on, how they were going to continue to have in-person teaching. So it, it really is, I think, that stark of a, of a decision that, that these boards, at least those two so far, have made. And it should, be, it should be noted that the vaccination process is still slow and ongoing, but one of the issues is that teachers have actually been bumped down a level of priority than they were initially assigned. And I think that health officer Joe Russell said that he doesn't expect teachers to be able to start getting vaccinated until late May and even into the summer. And that obviously adds a a whole nother level there. But one other thing, you mentioned that the health officer obviously has made his recommendations very clear, but it seems like the health board, which might be able to actually put out their own regulations or their own recommendations has been rather silent on the matter. What can you tell us about what's happening on that level? Well, stay tuned for a little bit. There will be some more reporting, I I think, that I'm I'm working on right now coming out either later on Wednesday when this podcast is being released or later in the week, because I I don't expect the board to take any action on, on issuing a mask directive, whether it be countywide or in schools. That is something that the health officer, Joe Russell, pushed for and proposed and wanted, and it didn't happen. And it, and it didn't happen for sort of a complicated web of, of reasons, some of which are legal, some of which are, are, are potentially legal, at least some legal concerns raised at the county level. Some of it is the reticence of that board to continue engaging in divisive issues, which have, have led to the, the fact that people in Flathead County know that we have a board of health now, which I'm not sure that before the last year Many people paid attention to, but there, there is no help, I, I think, to the districts coming from the county level. I know that was extremely disappointing to Matt Jensen, the, uh, uh, the superintendent in Big Fork, who, who in, the, in the cover story this week said that 
And he felt like the board abdicated their responsibility as the, the county entity that is supposed to protect public health. But for, you know, that, that just, it, it matches up with what the Board of Health has been doing throughout the pandemic. They have opted for inaction uh, time and time again. And, and perhaps it shouldn't be surprising that that's the route they decided to go this time as well. And then one more thing, just to circle back to the national conversation, since it is coming up more and more across the country, this story is called Roadmap to Reopening, and there's kind of a working model here. But I know that there are some national guidelines put out by the Centers of Disease Control um, and other health organizations on the steps to take before you reopen schools. I know you've looked into those a little bit. What are some of the basics and how do we fit into those? Are, are we there yet? Have we just miraculously already fit into those recommendations? You know, in, in some ways we had and, in, and still are there. So the, the number one recommendation is wear masks, um, because as, as, they, as the health experts will tell you, the, the safest thing you can possibly do to contain any disease that is transmitted the way COVID-19 is is to stay more than six feet away from people, stay far away from people. That is the single most effective thing. If you just sit in, a, in your home and never leave, you're never going to catch a virus from anyone else. If you can't do that, and obviously you can't do that in a school building, the clear number two best precaution you can take is to wear a mask and to not just you wear a mask, but everybody wear a mask because the, the virus is spread through droplets that you express when you uh, speak or sneeze or sing or laugh or, or do whatever you do. So having everybody masked is requirement number one. The CDC also talks about, you know, some of the sanitization efforts that, that schools here have done, limiting crowd sizes at, at like extracurricular events, all stuff that, that had already been happening here. Now that the vaccine is in place, the CDC also recommends that all teachers be vaccinated before schools reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not an option back in, in August when our schools were reopening here. Of course, now that hasn't happened unless you're a teacher with a serious underlying health condition or, or are over, you know, are, are old enough to qualify in tier 1B, you're not vaccinated. So to that end, a place like Big Fork where, you know, there's no longer going to be a mask requirement and the vast majority of the teachers are not vaccinated is, is 0 for 2, I think, when it comes to the, the two most significant CDC recommendations at least in the rest of the districts where masking remains in place, they're as close as they can get, given the current situation in Montana, to to being in compliance with what those recommendations are. Well, we'll continue to follow along, and hopefully we'll make it through a full school year without any major issues in the Flathead Valley, but phenomenal reporting on this piece, and thanks for joining us. If you have not yet read it, pick up the latest copy of The Flathead Beacon to read Andy's latest story, Roadmap to Reopening, or visit flatheadbeacon.com. Thanks again to my colleague Andy Viano, and to find out a whole lot more about what schools in the Flathead Valley have done and continue to do to maximize in-person learning opportunities this year, go read Andy's story in this week's Flathead Beacon, Roadmap to Reopening. Now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 5 p.m. on Tuesday, March 2nd. In Glacier National Park, discussions are beginning over how to safely reopen the eastern entrance which has been closed to public access since March of last year. A work group of public health experts from tribal, state, local, and federal governments 
are tasked with identifying health and safety benchmarks that could allow for a potential safe reopening, and they're working to determine what mitigation efforts will have to be put in place at the start of the visitor season to make that happen. Over the weekend, a Kalispell man died after falling into a tree well while snowboarding just beyond the ski area boundary up at Whitefish Mountain Resort, prompting a search and rescue effort that ended in tragedy. The victim was Matthew Gilman, who was riding in an out-of-bounds terrain east of Flower Point Summit with a group of friends. This was the first tree well-related fatality on Big Mountain since 2018. Signs posted around the mountain warn skiers and snowboarders of the hazards of tree wells, which are characterized as deep, bow-covered pits that can gather loose, unconsolidated snow capable of burying a fallen skier. The resort reminds all skiers and riders to ski with a buddy and with a whistle. Elsewhere, unionized nurses at Kalispell Regional Healthcare took to a picket line on February 23rd to publicize complaints about hospital administrators they say are putting profits before patients. Executives with Kalispell Regional Healthcare have countered that nurses are misrepresenting negotiations and making unrealistic demands, and both sides accuse the other of slowing down the negotiation process, which has been ongoing since late 2019. The sticking points boil down to hospital economics, including staffing, wages, and retention. And finally, we are heading into the heart of state championship season for winter sports. Flathead High School, which won the first ever girls' state wrestling championship just a few weeks ago, will host the Class AA Boys Wrestling Tournament starting on March 5th. The Class AA State Swimming Meet will take place in Great Falls on March 5th, and the Class A and B Swimming State Meet will take place on March 6th down in Polson. On the basketball court, the Class A State Tournament kicks off at the Four Seasons Arena in Great Falls today, Wednesday, March 3rd. The Columbia Falls Wildcats enter the tournament ranked number four in the state, despite being the only undefeated team in Class A. The Wildcats have lost just 19 games since the start of the 2013-2014 season and are looking to add to their trophy case after six top three finishes and a state championship in 2017. To read more about how the Columbia Falls girls are doing on the court, go back and read our feature from February, which will be linked in the show notes below. That is our show this week. You can read more about all of these stories and catch up on the latest breaking news for free on our newly redesigned website, flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.